0: the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that opinions all are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law sensitive topics are discussed discretion is advised
1: on this week's court tv podcast after tons of pre-trial publicity a minneapolis judge said enough is enough and put a gag order on all the parties involved in the prosecution of the ex-police officers involved in the death of George Floyd. Court TV legal correspondent, Chanley Painter, is here with insight into what led to the judge's ruling. Does the gag order help or hurt the defense's case, or is it a sign the prosecution has a bigger problem on their hands?
0: This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan,
1: Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan, former prosecutor. That's the way I see the world. I'll let you know up front, right? Um, You know, the George Floyd case is going to be a trial or a series of trials. And and we know the way the story has completely taken over the nation and has so many implications in in so many areas of our lives. But when push comes to shove, there's going to be a trial. You've got four defendants, You've got uh, people who have put in their pleas of not guilty or are saying they're not guilty. They're not admitting to anything at this point. And then I think ultimately this is a case that will go to trial. So everything that happens up until that point is significant because what happens before the trial can impact what happens during the trial. And there's a lot of legal wrangling and maneuvering that takes place, and we've had some of that already in the case, which, which is young. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in terms of the case. We've talked so much about how it's impacted society, policing, et cetera. But let's focus in to, to what we do here at Core TV, which is cover trials. And it, right now it looks like we are going to have uh, one or more trials. And I want to bring in. Court TV legal correspondent, Chanley Painter. Because when Court TV covers a trial, all right, I'm in the studio, right? But someone has to go out to the courthouse, and that is Chanley. Chanley, great to see see you. Great to have you back.
2: Yeah, glad to be here. So
1: this is a case that um, is big. We know how big it is in so many ways. But right now, there, there have been some things that have happened, court filings, orders issued by judges, and we're getting to learn a little bit more about what happened through some of these, what I call, court documents, right? Um, So why don't you tell me, Chanley, let's start first with um, a ruling by the judge. Uh, Apparently the judge, not happy with people talking about the case.
2: Right, so he issued a gag order, recently for the case. And he had already warned the attorneys about this previously to not talk to the media. And now that Thomas Lane's attorney, Earl Gray, has filed this motion to dismiss, he made a couple of comments or interviews about it. Well, the judge didn't like that many. So the judge says, we don't want to taint a potential jury pool. So I'm going to place a gag order on this entire case.
1: Okay. So now no one's going to talk, but we learn things from these these papers. And from what Earl Grey filed he filed as an exhibit which is right when when you make a when you make an legal argument right you make an argument but it's got to be based upon some set of facts and here part of the facts he's relying upon are the transcripts of the body cam footage which no one has seen right i mean that's that has not been made public
2: It has not been made public, although there are entities trying to make it public because the transcripts, you know, you can read what people say, but it's a lot different if you see them say it and how they say it. But as exhibits to his motion, he attached uh, Earl Gray on behalf of Thomas Lane attached the transcript of the body cam for Thomas Lane during the incident, as well as his partner, Alexander King's body cam transcript, as well as Thomas Lane's interview with state investigators after the incident with his attorney. And then some other exhibits like the training manual for the Minneapolis Police Department, as well as photos of the scene, the car that George Floyd was found in. So a lot to sift through to help support his motion, which was basically saying, look, there's no probable cause to support these charges against my client, Thomas Lane.
1: Right. And Thomas Lane is not the officer with the knee on the neck of George Floyd. He's actually on the feet furthest away, right? He's the one that we really don't see necessarily in some of those videos that have been released. Uh, he's not the officer that's standing up uh, addressing the people who are recording. He's not Derek Chauvin, who is the one with his knee on George Floyd's neck, but he's got his his, he's holding down his legs, right?
2: He is. He's holding down his legs. He was the farthest away, and he makes this clear in this motion, the farthest away from Derek Chauvin, the one charged with second degree murder. In fact, he says he wasn't even in his line of sight down at George Floyd's feet, trying to hold his legs under control. But he was one of the first responding officers on the scene. So we're learning through these exhibits a more complete picture of what happened from the time Thomas Lane was there and his partner, Alexander King, who was in the midsection of George Floyd, uh, holding him down. And then when the other officers arrived. So they're trying to piece it together using these exhibits to give us a more complete picture.
1: And to separate Thomas Lane from Derek Chauvin, because Derek Absolutely. Chauvin is public enemy number one. We we know that, right? And, and we've seen it. We've seen the video, and we know the way everyone is reacting to that video. So he's trying to separate himself from Chauvin. Now, what did we learn from the transcript? Because there, it, it, to me, it was fascinating because you really got a much more complete picture of what officers were doing and why they were doing it. Because of the conversation that they're having with each other and with George Floyd. So, what are some of the highlights that came out in that transcript that weren't necessarily um, part of the public conversation before? <laughs>
2: A lot, Vinny. So we get to read from the very beginning when Thomas Lane arrives on the scene. He goes into the Cup Foods where Floyd allegedly tried to pay with a fake $20 bill. Well, he's still outside, parked outside the Cup Foods convenience store, sitting in a car. So Thomas Lane and his partner approach the car. We learn that Thomas Lane pulls his. His sidearm, his weapon immediately on George Floyd. We see that in other surveillance video, but now we were learning why that happened. Uh, according to Thomas Lane, the people inside the vehicle, George Floyd, they were making some furtive movements, uh, moving around a lot. So they didn't know if they were reaching for weapons. What we learned is that he pull, pulls the gun because George Floyd would not show his hands immediately when the officer approached. And now we know he was trying to stuff more of those $20 bills down the side of the seat in his car through this motion. We also learned that. So we're learning why he wasn't cooperative maybe at the beginning. And we're also learning, according to Thomas Lane, that he was pretty erratic the entire time they dealt with him uh, from the beginning to when he was taken away, you know, he was unresponsive.
1: What do you mean erratic? What The, the way he was responding to um, what officers were were saying?
2: The way he was responding, his movements, Thomas Lane says that he felt like he was on something, like he was on drugs or something. He had some foam uh, gathered around his mouth. When they tried to walk him across the street to the squad car, he was resisting that he wouldn't get in the squad car. They had to take all three of them to try to get them in, him in the squad car. And then Thomas Lane says when he was, he started banging his head against the glass between the drivers and passenger seat in the squad car and started bleeding from the mouth. So he was hurting himself also at the time they were trying to put him in the squad car saying no he was claustrophobic he didn't want to get in and we're also learning that it was George Floyd's request to be put on the ground. He wanted to leave the squad car because he was claustrophobic.
1: So he they, they get him in. That was the part that was very confusing to me because I've seen different videos from different perspectives. And at some point he um George Floyd is in the squad car but ends up outside And is this the body cam transcript that is revealing that George Floyd wanted to get out? Is it George Floyd saying it according to the transcript or is it or is it Thomas Lane in his interview saying that Floyd said it?
2: It's both. In fact, his interview is pretty consistent with the transcript of the body cam. Of course, he watches the body cam before he gives the interview. Right. But. We're learning from the transcript that George Floyd is saying this while the officers are trying to put him, secure him into the squad car. He doesn't want to get in. He's saying he's claustrophobic. He wants the window down. Thomas Lane offers to sit in there with him and roll the window down, but he, Thomas Lane, has to go around to try to pull him into the squad car. And that's when he said, and the transcript indicates that he starts banging his head against the the window and hurting himself.
1: You know, I want to take a quick listen because uh, we're never going to hear it again now, apparently, but with the gag order. But Earl Gray, the attorney, did speak with Court TV. And I want to play what he says. And I I guess this will be part of their argument in front of the judge and ultimately the jury about um, what Thomas Lane, the rookie who was on the force for four days, was trying to do versus Derek Chauvin. Let's take a listen.
3: During this time, my client said, "I want to quote this so I don't get it wrong." He says, "Should we roll him on his side?" Officer Chauvin, the 20-year experienced officer who's holding him by the neck, the head, or the uh, upper shoulders, he says, "No, staying put where we got him." That was Chauvin's advice to a four-day cop. So I
1: guess another big part of of what. Thomas Lane, through his attorney, is saying is that Thomas Lane was trying to help George Floyd, was trying to get him on his side, and it was Chauvin who said no.
2: Yeah, a big part of this motion to dismiss is to basically point the finger at Derek Chauvin, the one with 20 years experience, the field training officer, the senior one on the scene of this George Floyd incident. And of course, he wants to point out that Thomas Lane, his client, which in the transcript you can read, he twice tries to say, what if we turn him on his side? He's concerned about excited delirium. And both times Chauvin says, no, leave him like he is. He even requests to check his pulse at one point after Floyd becomes unresponsive.
1: Now, another thing that I learned from the transcript that, that surprised me. And I, and and the body cam, I think is going to be huge in this case. Huge is that George Floyd says he can't breathe before he's on the ground Mm -hmm. and says it many times throughout this entire ordeal. Um, When does he start saying, I can't breathe?
2: He says it more than 20 times before he becomes unresponsive. And he starts saying it by the squad car. So when they walk him across the street, we've seen this in surveillance videos, he's over by the squad car. That's when he doesn't want to get into the squad car. He starts saying he can't breathe. He's claustrophobic. And he continues to say that until he becomes unresponsive.
1: So, you know, I think one of two things, and, and I'm looking ahead. Chanley, you know, I've been covering these cases for a long, long time, and I know the way defense attorneys think. I know the way they act and, and, and the way they, they um, defend their clients. If, he, if he's saying he can't breathe before he's ever on the ground, the defense is either going to argue that um, he's lying that he can't breathe And that's what officers thought. Or he was in physical distress before he was on the ground. And whatever is going on with him, with the the foaming of the mouth, and I can't breathe, and what's going on, they're going to have some forensic expert who's going to come in and and talk about the cause of death. And they're going to argue, I guarantee you, they're going to argue the cause of death, and it may seem obvious to people but not obvious to others, they're going to argue that the cause of death has nothing to do with the knee on the neck. I guarantee you that's what they're going to argue, and they're going to base it on this part of the transcript that we're hearing now—that he couldn't breathe before he wasn't before he was on the ground. This is this is unreal. I mean, that's why I think we're going to have a trial here. I don't see anyone taking a deal, um, uh, or and when I say anyone, anyway, I'm talking about Shavin. Really, here Shavin has taken this all away.
2: Absolutely. And if you just look at the autopsy, of course, there's the county autopsy that says his cause of death was heart failure. It had nothing to do with asphyxiation or a knee on the neck and that he did have fentanyl, meth and cannabinoids in his system. But of course, there's the private family autopsy that says it was asphyxiation. So that's going to be a debated issue for trial for a jury to figure out what the truth is.
1: Yeah. So you got Dr. Michael Bodden, who was hired by the family, who, who says one thing, but that's not the state's expert. And if, and if you don't call your own expert at trial, the defense will. And that's going to make you look really bad. So they've, they've got to call their own expert. And then I guarantee you the defense will find an expert who will say it had nothing to do with the neck. Wow. Wow. Well, we'll continue to track this and, and, and get as much information as we can with a gag order. Chanley Painter, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Great to see you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you too. Thanks, Ben.
1: Okay, so as I said, and as Chanley reported, there's a gag order now. But I don't like gag orders. I think they're absurd. I don't think they serve any purpose. I think they are overused. As a matter of fact, I will say they are unconstitutional. All right? But not everybody agrees with me. Obviously, the judge doesn't. And neither does our guest who will be joining us He's an incredible attorney. He's a professor of law, so I've got my hands full. Randy Kessler will join us to try to convince me that gag orders are good. Good luck, Randy.
0: Follow Court TV live over the air uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV and go to courttv.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area.
3: One of the problems with getting a fair trial now is that there's such adverse publicity that jurors themselves, even if they felt the individual was innocent, would be afraid to find him not guilty because of the public uproar. And we've seen that in trials in the past where jurors are contacted and they're not protected because the internet exposes who they are. So my answer now, as of today is that they would not get a fair trial with jury trial. You're always hoping for one, but it's... Sad reality that right today, they would not get a fair trial.
1: That's Earl Gray, the attorney for Thomas Lane. And I don't necessarily agree with him there. Uh, Everyone ends up getting a fair trial in our country. It's because we have this incredible jury system. We have an opportunity to screen who these jurors are. And by and large, I trust jurors. And you put them in a courtroom, they listen to the judge. Sorry, but they do. They do their civic duty. They listen to the judge, and they they come to a verdict. So um, talking about everyone gets a fair trial. Ask O.J. Simpson. Ask that woman down in in Orange County, Florida, the mother of Kaylee Marie Anthony. Ask George Zimmerman. Everybody gets a fair trial. Give me a break. I'm, I'm tired of the defense attorney's whining about um, getting fair trials in our country. But I may agree with the defense on this. The judge in this case, as Chanley Painter uh, pointed out, has issued a gag order. Okay? And and let me read just a little bit of this gag order entered by Judge Cahill in this uh, case involving the officers charged with the death of George Floyd. The court has been made aware that two or more attorneys representing parties in the above-captioned cases granted interviews or talked with the media yesterday, expounding on the merits of the case or commenting on other aspects of the case after a motion to dismiss was filed in State of Minnesota versus Thomas Kiernan Lane. The court finds that continuing pretrial publicity in this case by the attorneys involved will increase the risk of tainting a potential jury pool and will impair all parties' rights to a fair trial therefore it is ordered that everyone is gagged you can't talk about anything i made that part up but that's basically what the rest of the order says there's a gag and i think this gag is a huge mistake but my next guest does not agree with me randy kessler joins us he is an incredible litigator trial attorney family law expert and professor of law randy thanks for coming on board today hey thanks for having me Vinny. All right, Randy. Let, you know, um, I don't know if you want to go first or second. I usually let the guests uh, decide. Uh, I'm ready to go. If you want to respond to my argument, did,
4: didn't you? Did, didn't you already just go first, Benny? <laughs> did, didn't you just you laid it out and put me at a disadvantage already? So I'm, I'm taking my chance while I got it.
1: Okay. So you, um, so you want to go first and tell me why this piece of paper I'm holding in my hand, that uh, you have a copy of in your hand, is is a good idea? Mm-hmm. This gag order. Go ahead. I'm listening. You, yeah, the
4: piece of paper that you just misquoted when you sort of ad-libbed and said at the end, and everyone is prohibited from talking. Maybe that's the problem with the gag order. It just says the parties and all attorneys for the parties shall not disclose. It does not say Vinnie Politan shall not disclose. It does not say that the support group shall not disclose. And that may be a bigger problem than the gag order. You know, Now you're going to have people that can talk that don't know as much about the details and the facts and the evidence. As the lawyers, but you know it's a start. I think uh, the judge is doing his best to try to make sure that these defendants, who are innocent until proven guilty, get that presumption. It's already sort of going to be an uphill battle to comply with that presumption, given the enormous press when they walk into the courtroom. Let's face it; you know, 90% of America probably thinks negatively of them, if not a lot worse than that. How do you stop that pre-trial? And and that's what the word prejudice comes from. Your pre Judging And the judge, I think, is doing a good job in trying to limit the prejudice against these defendants who, I'm not saying they're innocent, but I'm saying in America, you're innocent to proven guilty. So they are innocent until a jury convicts them. Um, and we have to give them a fair trial if we want to be respected for our system of justice. Otherwise, why have a system?
1: You know, Randy, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Uh-oh, it's going to explode right now. Because my yeah. argument is all about a fair trial. Um, there are two amendments I would like to quote. Right. And I think that they're, they're good. That's, that's a good thing to have in your pocket is is one of the amendments. So the First Amendment is freedom of speech. Right. This is still America. All right. So we have a freedom mm-hmm. of speech. So we have to balance that right against the Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial to a fair and impartial jury. OK, let's look at the world we're living in right now, Randy. And, and you're the one who, who's actually feeding me the facts. You said about 90%. I would say 99.9% of the people who have seen the video have convicted these police officers already. I have not seen anyone on the air, in print, anywhere. I can't get one on my show, and we've covered this I don't know how many times. I can't get one defense attorney. I can't get a criminal defense attorney to defend these people publicly on the air. They can't, they just don't do it. So how on earth, who's being gagged here? You know who's being gagged? Are the defendants and their attorneys. The, the, the public narrative and the story that we've seen is all the videos that have been released and are all over the place already, and everyone talking about them. And, and everyone is in line. There is no one, including myself, saying not guilty here. Okay? But now you have gagged the defendants from being able to say, I'm innocent, to, be, to do anything to counterbalance the, incredi- the, the incredible pretrial publicity it, it associated with this case. I mean, it took over, like, unlike most trials, I mean, mm-hmm. I've covered big trials, but then there are things that are bigger than trials, and this is it. So, yep. how on earth is the defendant's right to a fair and impartial jury helped by keeping the defendants and their attorneys from proclaiming their innocence?
4: Well, I'm glad you asked that, Vinny, because they may have just, get, the judge may have just handed the defense a gift because maybe the only thing they had, since defense lawyers would not talk about it, nobody would go out and proclaim their innocence. Now they have something they can use. You know what they can say? I would be glad to tell you exactly why they are innocent, exactly why they're not guilty. I would be glad to give you the evidence, but this judge has instituted a gag order. So what we're gonna have to do, ladies and gentlemen of the public, is wait for the jury process to unfold, and we have to hold on until we see the way the process unfolds. That may be the best they have. Sometimes you're better off not being able to say what you have, because what you have ain't much this time if they don't have much which of course if they had a lot they'd be saying it um, but you never know but i think the judge was just saying to get out of hand and you know he's got to be responsive to the public and and how does the whole world get talk about this case and then these people walk into court and say judge everyone already knows or thinks that they're guilty you know he, it, it may be too late the only the only problem with the order is maybe it came a little too late
1: has the judge been watching television does the judge have internet Does does the judge, uh, I know we're all in lockdown mode, so maybe the judge is locked down in his house uh, and, and doesn't speak to anyone else in the world, but everyone knows the story. I would say almost everyone has seen the video and everyone has an opinion, and hundreds of thousands of people have hit the streets of America to express their opinions about this case about this case. And he's worried about tainting a jury pool by allowing people to talk about this? And to me, that's absurd. That is crazy. To me, that is so disconnected from reality. And and I think part of the basis when you want to shut down freedom of speech, you should have some, some level of a factual basis to do so that... Somehow, by people speaking, it would actually, it would actually impede the right to a fair and impartial uh, a jury and fair trial for both sides here. But I can't imagine under what scenario someone could say something that would change or or further taint what is already a very public case, Randy. Yeah, well, you
4: pulled out the U.S. Constitution. I'm going to pull out the ABA, American Bar Association model rules. It's, it's better than 6- pulling out
1: an ABA basketball. I know you're a huge basketball fan, so at least you're not pulling out <laughs> one of those red, white, and blue basketballs.
4: Well, I wouldn't want to try to run through one of your picks. I've uh, I've heard about you on the court, Vinny, So you know, I, I like my my knees intact. Um, but what I would say is the ABA, without any gag orders, without any rules, there is a general rule and suggestion for all lawyers that they should not be trying to talk to the public to taint a jury. In fact, it says they're not supposed to disseminate any public communications that has a substantial likelihood of materially prejudicing an adjudicative proceeding, meaning a trial. Of course, if there's bad press out there, you can try to come back and try to rebut it a little bit to mitigate, the quotas, is, to mitigate the recent adverse publicity. But this judge is just talking to the prosecutors and the defense lawyers. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, those people in the public that want to talk about free trial, guilt, or innocence, they're going to still do it. And he's not stopping you or the public from talking about what these officers did or people that might support the officers. The problem is, as you said, for the officers, nobody's coming out and publicly defending them, maybe right. because there's no defense. That's, yeah, that's, well, that's, why, just,
1: that's why I think there's a disconnect from reality for the judge. There is nobody supporting these officers. Nobody. The only people who are going to do it are the officers themselves. If and when they speak, and their attorneys, and maybe some family, maybe some family members, maybe that's what they need to do is send family members out there. But at the end of the day, I mean, if the judge has spent ten minutes watching what's going on, and rightfully so, based upon the evidence that we've seen, um, it's 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 so incredibly one-sided. I don't know how letting people talk and letting people proclaim their innocence does anything other than perhaps even the playing field, just a little bit, just a little bit. Well, Cause well, prosecutors had their well, press conference. Yeah. But Vinny, maybe what he's trying to do is even the playing field a little bit.
4: I mean, the defense is now put in a position without a gag order of having to come back and respond to this public rhetoric and the, and the prosecutorial discussions. They've got no choice. Maybe he's basically saying, listen, I don't want this to spiral any further out of control. Let's confine it to the courtroom. The lawyers handling this case, prosecutors, defense counsel, you all are going to be talking about the case in the courtroom, that's it. Don't forget, he did give them an out. There's still the rule there um, in Minnesota that if you file a document, the document is available to the public. So if they have a legal position, like this motion to dismiss, that motion to dismiss is still in the public domain and can still be commented on by people like you and others Uh, in the media and elsewhere so the lawyers still have an avenue but it's got to be something worthy of putting in a pleading they can't just off the cuff make a comment to a microphone
1: right which uh, i I guess they'll do Uh, you know that's that's a that's a small uh, a small nugget here and and you know people are gonna have to watch you know television shows like court tv that will actually read the court documents because most don't by the way well randy I, i i i you know i'm a big proponent of freedom of speech as a uh, member of the media, but it's also just the way I like to live my life. I think we all should be able to say whatever we want. That's kind of the basis of this country. And uh, the bottom line is, I know the judge is talking about maybe we'll have to move this trial. I mean, come on, it, have the trial wherever you want. It's the same it's the same difference wherever it is. It, you know, Everybody knows that's the true. story. makes no difference.
4: That's, that's true. Look, I also know you're a proponent of fair trials. Even, even as a prosecutor, you wouldn't prosecute if you didn't think you could win the case and that it was winnable or that it was the person was guilty. So, you know, if the judge in his heart and in his mind was trying to do his best to ensure a fair trial, then you got to give him some credibility, some credit. And he's in the mix of it. We don't know all the pressures this judge has and everything this judge has considered. So if this judge is truly trying to protect the system and the fairness of the process, then perhaps we should defer to the person in charge of this case, the person that was you know, appointed or elected to this position, the judge. Never. Okay, so I'm sure.
1: He- never. I will never <laughs> defer my freedom to of speech to anyone, Randy. But yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying exactly. I think his, his his heart is in the right place. I just think he's a little disconnected from the reality of the case that he is in charge of right now. But anyway, uh, a great debate, Randy Kessler, folks. Incredible, a uh, family law attorney. You probably see him on the Real Housewives. Oh, that's right, he's a TV star too. Uh, Randy, great right. to see you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you, Benny. All right. So like I've been saying, this is going to be a trial. And when that trial happens, believe it or not, based, even, even after I've said everything that I've said throughout this podcast, prosecutors have a huge problem on their hands when it's time to try this case. They've got one big problem. I will tell you what it is when we come back. case involving the death of George Floyd have a huge problem on their hands. This is, and this could undermine their entire case. And it's a problem that impacts what most attorneys agree is the most important part of the trial. Okay? Let me explain. Let's start first with, with what we all know, and we all agree. Like we, we've seen the video. The video is outrageous. So what has happened? America has seen the video. More specifically, I would say everyone in Minneapolis has seen the video. Everyone in Minnesota where this case will be tried has seen the video. Everyone has an opinion about the video. And everyone's opinion is pretty much the same. I would say it's 99.9% the same. There's got to be a 0.1% somewhere out there. I haven't met them. They haven't been on my show. But no one thinks uh, uh, these cops are innocent. And certainly no one thinks Derek Chauvin, the officer with his knee on the neck of George Floyd, is innocent. Everyone is outraged. We have seen the outrage. And people, unlike many cases, people have actually voiced their outrage in many different ways. Whether it's posting something about it on social media, signing a petition, or how about getting up and out of your house and and, and protesting and having your voice heard. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have done that. And guess what? That's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because as we were discussing with Randy Kessler, there's a Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial, to a fair and impartial jury that every criminal defendant is entitled to. So if you are someone who has seen the video and believes he's guilty and you have voiced your opinion, guess who's not getting on the jury? You're not getting on the jury. And as um, Oprah would say, you're not getting on the jury, you're not getting on the jury, you're not getting on the jury. Because so many of us have voiced our opinions. A simple post on social media, boom, maybe you liked something. Maybe you signed a petition. Maybe you posted something. Maybe All of this is going to be asked during the questioning of the potential jurors, during voir dire, the jury questionnaire that will probably be 30 pages thick of questions. All of this will be gone through. And the people who have already formed an opinion about what appears to be very obvious to most of us will be excluded from the jury. Now, what I want you to think about is what is left. Because that's your jury. Pe- th- you're not going to find people who haven't seen the video, right? Or haven't heard about it. But people who have seen the video and say, no, I have not formed an opinion about this. I i don't know. You tell me if that was right or wrong. That's who's going to be on your jury. And for prosecutors, that is the worst case scenario. You are left with what we call really bad prosecution jurors. These are people who, who are these people, right? Who are these people who have not formed an opinion about this? That somehow, and and, and this is what a jury has to do. and, And those are the only people who should be on a jury. I'm not questioning our system. I'm just saying the way the system works the way this case has played out and, and what's going to happen during the jury selection process. Why dear? These jurors are going to have to answer written questions. They're going to have to answer uh, questions from the attorneys. And when they say that they formed an opinion, they will be bounced by the judge and they'll be out of there. And that's that's going to be a problem. Because it's only the people who are left. Whoever these people are, who I have not met but they're out there somewhere because we find them in every case. Those are the people who will sit in judgment of officer or former officer, Derek Chauvin and the three other officers. And if I'm the prosecutor, I am, Oh, I'm, I'm horrified. I'm absolutely horrified. As strong as my evidence is as strong as public opinion is, I'm horrified by the prospect of trying to pick a jury for this case because I'm scared of who I'm going to be left with and, and who, who are these people and how could they not have formed an opinion. But that's who has to sit on the jury. That's the way our system works. So I just want to give everyone a little warning because obviously here on Court TV, we'll be covering um, this case as it unfolds. Every hearing uh, we will be uh, uh, covering, obviously, in great detail. But as we move forward to to getting to an actual trial. Keep this in the back of your mind. I keep it in the back of my mind all the time because I know prosecuting is the most difficult thing. You've got to convince 12 people beyond any and all reasonable doubt. You have the burden, 1,000%. But now you've got to convince people who have not been convinced already by the evidence that's been out in the public. And to me, that is seemingly impossible. Hopefully, hopefully, we can find 12 people who can be fair and impartial, but also have a dose of common sense. All right, folks. I am Vinny Politan. This is the Court TV podcast. We do it every week. And uh, I'm also on television, okay? I mentioned it a few times. Uh, Chanley's on television. Randy Kessler comes on the show as a guest from time to time as well. Every night from 8 to 11, we are live on Court TV. We are a network that is virtually everywhere across the nation, and you can get us with an antenna, but if you have one of those antennas, you got to re-scan it. You scan it, and then you rescan it to make sure it picks up all the channels in your area, including Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great day, and don't forget
0: to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV go to courttv.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch court tv in your area.